Welcome to another episode of the Pastor's Call Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Webb. Before we begin today's episode, I want to thank the sponsor for the show. It's Blue Water Free Methodist Church, where I have the pleasure and honor of serving. We're an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. Well, today I'm so excited to have with me Larry Walkenmeyer. He is the strategic catalyst for multiplication in the Free Methodist Church and also a long-serving transformational leader in our denomination. So, Larry, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Hey, it's a great honor and great privilege to be with you, and thanks for this ministry, Joel. Well, I appreciate it. Well, let's just get right into it. I'd love for you just to share a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you felt your call into the pastoral ministry was. Certainly. Uh, I was born in Southwest Kansas to farming parents, uh, both who were uh, ardent for the Lord. Um, and my daddy died when I was two, uh, two of cancer. And my single mom just uh, had us in church every time the doors were opened. And uh, so I came to faith early. It was a Wesleyan holiness kind of church, Church of God, Anderson, Indiana. Uh, so that was my background. And at a summer camp, um, I felt a call into ministry. I, I, I say I had only I only wanted to be two things in all my life. One was a pro football player until the age of twelve, <laughs> and uh, then God called me into ministry at twelve, and I, I just uh, have tenaciously pursued that uh, ever since with great with great joy. So what what did that? process a journey you know a calling from a young age i myself have felt that call as well from a, from a younger age but share what that experience was like between from that time of calling towards actually pursuing that in, in ministry yeah certainly um so it was in during the days of uh, the jesus people movement if you a lot of people have seen the the movie um the jesus revolution about that that's been so popular recently but yeah i was um i, I was 14 when expo 72 took place in dallas in the cotton bowl with billy graham and uh it's just seventy five thousand, uh, uh, mostly college age students young adults uh there and I, um so that was very transformative to my life um so i just continued to pursue opportunities to serve within my small local church there you know i never got over 80 or 90 people but uh we had an incredible pastor that i i wrote about uh, in a book that's going to come out uh first of the year with exponential but um yeah i i became an intern to him my senior year because that work study program and so i'd spend half a day every uh every day of the week actually just helping out my pastor harold and uh, so that was that was really shaping for me. Um, and then I, I still wanted to play football, not professionally, but um, so I went on a football scholarship to Azusa Pacific because it was affiliated with uh, the Church of God Anderson, Indiana, and had a, had a good football team. And um, so I could prepare for ministry full time. So I went there and uh, just immediately jumped into their um, Bible and religious studies courses full bore. And uh, yeah, so I can tell you more of the story from there, but that's, that's to that point. Uh, hmm. So uh, one, one thing that conversationally I haven't uh, talked with too much is kind of, dur especially for someone called at a younger age, feeling that strong pull and that strong call. Um, 
did you ever have any kind of moments of doubt or trying to maybe do something other than what you felt that calling was? And, and you know, what was that, you know, maybe push and pull of, of kind of wrestling with that, you know, knowing is this truly what God's calling me to? Yeah, I know most people do. And I, I just, I can't remember any, I'm sure I must mm -hmm. have Joel, but I, I, I don't remember any, I think because the call was so strong and that the zeal in that time of serving the Lord and the Lord's coming back soon. Uh, that was kind of the Jesus people feeling. Um, and, uh, you know, culture was, uh, you know, just emerging from the crazy sixties and still, uh, quite, quite well. And so I just felt a need. I felt a strong call, but then I also felt such an affirmation from the people around me as I began to use my gifts. I mean, I preached my first sermon when I was 16 to uh, uh, a church full of farmers on a Sunday night that were falling asleep while I preached. And <laughs> but, but man, they came up afterwards and said, oh, yeah, it's amazing. And so I got a lot of that kind of affirmation. Mm -hmm. And I became Kansas State Youth President for uh, for the Church of God youth groups. And I had a buddy that would fly me uh, in his plane all around on Sundays around the state of Kansas. He was my age. We were 17 at the time. And we would fly around the state of Kansas and he'd land in these little places. And I'd go to the little country church or little town church, a church of God, because I was Kansas State youth president and they'd have me preach. And so there was just all that kind of affirmation that I don't think it is typical at all. And I knew I didn't want to farm because that was what my family had been. And I'd worked hard on the farm and, yeah. and I love farmers. And there's a lot, there's a lot I enjoy about it. I knew that that was not for me. I was yeah. going to the big city out, out West and, uh, and pursuing ministry. So, yeah. So I think that's probably why I didn't struggle yeah. with it uh, in and out. I, yeah. No, appreciate it. So, you know, starting out Church of God Anderson, now in the Free Methodist Church. So share a little bit of that in, kind of in between from, you know, sure. uh, you know your post-secondary days moving into yeah. full-time ministry and that transition towards uh, the Free Methodist Church. Go ahead and if you can delve into that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's a wild story, actually, and uh, parts of it are not pretty. Um, <laughs> because I, I, met my, uh, I met my wife. She was a senior at APU, and I was a freshman. Yes. And, and uh, so she took a, a, a fifth year because she changed majors. I finished up two years. But during that second year, the president of the university, um, who was a Church of Godman, uh, introduced me to an opportunity to be a youth pastor. But it was up in San Jose. But uh, the church was, even though it was younger and not that big, was wealthy. It was um, in Los Gatos. And so they would fly me up on weekends for two or three days. And so most weekends I'd fly up and do ministry there in this church of God. And, um, and then Deb and I got married and that was our first home for about three months. But then the senior pastor felt called. He was well known in the church of God, uh, mm -hmm. been a nationally known evangelist. He decided to go to Illinois and asked me to come with him. And we just didn't feel like that was the, the call that God had for us. And, um, my sister was at a Bible college in Seattle. At, at, at the time, it was just a large uh, independent Bible college, about a thousand students. And the Lord spoke to me as Deb and I were, uh, were praying about what to do next. She had graduated. I could come back to APU, but um, 
she had a job offer in a college uh, to be a dean of women and that that young a kind of residential dean of, of women and anyway we uh, we felt we, uh, in prayer that god said if you're going to uh, minister for me effectively over a lifetime you need to know my word more fully and so we just felt this call to Seattle where my sister was in this really happening Bible college. And so we went up and uh, moved to Seattle and in uh, it was um, it, it was the largest church in Seattle at the time. And I quickly became the youth pastor there and um, and would uh, would preach about every six weeks uh, after I've been there a while, not right at first, but after I've been there, I'd preach about every six weeks at one of our weekend services to several thousand people. And um, it was, um, you know, a very heady experience. I thought I had it made, had the corner office and a lot of influence. And then it was discovered that the pastor was having multiple affairs and the elders of the church uh, said, you got to step down. He said, I started this church. You're all fired. It ended up a royal mess on the front page of the, of the Seattle Times in 2020, picked up the story and ran it nationally. And uh, the church went from many thousand down to 400 in uh, a matter of four months. Lost my ministry job. Uh, I, was, I was confronting the pastor. I even had a chance in the pulpit to call out sin. But I started... Um, started a nonprofit out of that because I had about 400 kids in my youth group and they were just devastated over this. Um, and I started a ministry called Teen Leaders for Christ, which included radio ministry and leadership adventure camps. Um, you know, I, Deb and I have always been quite uh, active outdoors. And uh, so sailing through the San Juans, snow skiing up in Canada would be kind of our bases, uh, water skiing out in eastern Washington and so it was, um, yeah, it was, uh, we would teach leadership principles. So we did that for two years, live by faith. And then God, um, God called us back to Southern California to, um, I just felt like I needed to recalibrate after such a devastating and, uh, kind of thing and, and get more education. And so, um, and Deb wanted to go for a marriage family um, degree at Fuller. And so I went back to Azusa Pacific for my MDiv. And <laughs> believe it or not, I, I needed a job and uh, a conservative Baptist church <laughs> had this great role. And they were just, they just planted about six months earlier and they were growing fast. Uh, some of the executive leaders of Focus on the Family, including the on-air personalities, um, were on the church board. And uh, so... We went there and the place was just really growing. And then the senior pastor decided he wanted to leave. And I was like, um, really? Come on. But they asked Deb and I to start pastoring the church. Um, we would have been uh, about 31 at the time. And, um, and we thought that's what God wanted for us um, was to pastor uh, this church that suburbs, all white church, very, very wealthy. They were going to buy us a home. Deb was picking out curtains. And, uh, but a, a guy, uh, the lay leader from a little free Methodist church in North Long Beach that was without a pastor, he was auditing one of my seminary classes and he was, uh, 
we got to be friends. And he said, hey, you should come pastor our church instead. I said, no way. Uh, you're just trying to keep the doors open. And he, uh, he said, we'll pray about it. And that's always dangerous. And so we said we would pray about it. But then we really didn't because we were so sure. And then it got to a week before we had to give him a final decision. And um, driving home one night from seminary class, I was saying, Lord, I do want to ask you. I don't want to miss your will. So, but I think I know it. But anyway, <laughs> Stephen, Cur Stephen Curtis Chapman comes on the radio singing, we will abandon it all for the sake of the call. Holy devoted to live and to die for the sake of the call. And the voice of the Lord filled the car. I mean, the most uh, articulate I've ever heard the Lord in my spirit, almost audible, and said, I want you to go to the little place. And so this was 1991, and uh, I was crying and slinging snot. I said, okay, God, I'm willing, but you got to talk to my wife. Because <laughs> she, she had her heart set on this new house, and this new role. And um, I got home uh, back to our apartment, and she met me at the garage door, and she'd been crying and said, honey, what's wrong? And she said, uh, honey, I don't think you're going to believe this, but I was praying tonight about our future, and God spoke to me. And he, uh, he said that we're supposed to go to Long Beach. And uh, I said, well, honey, let me tell you what happened. On the way out. <laughs> so there we ended up uh, uh, a few months later, a uh, month later, actually, in this little um, free Methodist church in North Long Beach, right next to Compton, multi-ethnic neighborhood filled with gangs and crime and 39 parking spots. And so that was my entrance into the free methodist church i'd never i don't remember ever being in a free methodist church until i became the pastor of one mm. but uh kevin manoya who i'm sure you know a very active uh bishop emeritus and uh and he was the superintendent at the time and so he's the one that talked to us of course before we actually took the church and so that's our story mm. well i i would love uh for you to share um because I know that that small little Free Methodist Church then did not stay very small, um, and, and over time it it really really grew grew very large. But I'd love if you could find a way to also talk about the story of that church to where you are today, mixed in with what you're doing now as as the strategic catalyst in the Free Methodist Church for multiplication. Because there's a reason why you're in this role now and I'm sure it has a lot to do with this tiny little church when you took over. And so if you're able to kind of weave together um, what the story of you and your wife in this church, along with kind of what you feel the, like the vision and the mission is for your role as strategic catalyst as well, if you're able to kind of mesh those in as you're kind of talking about it, because I'm sure those are related and the principles, you know, pass over because it can be a struggle for people to really figure out what is Christ-centered multiplication look like, um, especially in our very kind of postmodern society. Um, you know, we don't want to, you know, pander, um, but also kind of that strong pull of, you know, um, what is it? Exclusionary fundamentalism can be very strong. Yeah. Yeah. So there's got to be, you know, there's that always that middle way, that middle ground. So if you can kind of share and kind of weave those together, that would be be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And feel free to interrupt anytime in, in, in this uh, in this part. So I, uh, Deb and I come to this uh, church that, that literally uh, Superintendent Manoya said, 
Well, this is our last effort. This doesn't work. We're going to nail the coffin shut. Uh, it was just just because great people, but the neighborhood had changed. It was an all-white church, handful of white people. And um, I was really being schooled at that time. Now we're in 1991, being really schooled in church growth and um, how, to grow in a, how to grow your church uh, as fast as you can and as large as you can. And this was the... This was the thinking, the writing, and the teaching, and this is what I wanted to do. It really appealed to me. Like, yeah, let's reach people as many as we can for Jesus and build a large church. And um, the CEO model uh, of church leadership was really becoming popular at that time, which, you know, kind of went with the the whole church growth thing. But the number one book at the time said, if you're going to grow your church, you need ample and convenient parking. (laughs) And I looked at our 39 parking spots and I said, thanks a lot, God. Uh, um, And so, man, I didn't know what I was doing. I'd never been a senior pastor before. And I was in the middle of my MDiv uh, at Tezusa. And so we just started working and praying. What what we did know to do was to, was to pray. And what we, um, one of the main things that we did was that, I got all of our willing people that that were capable and because some of them were older and not capable, but uh, we began to walk the neighborhood and we began to pray, Lord, help our church look like our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And we, we would pray that over and over. And after we'd done this several, several times in our neighborhood, then we began to meet, really meet the neighbors and ask the second question, how can we serve you? And uh, and questions like, what would you like? We're a church in this neighborhood. What would you like? What would you need to see in a church before you'd be willing to go? And so we were able to really get that firsthand on the ground kind of uh, um, information. And through prayer and through, um, you know, uh, we changed the kind of the preaching style and the worship style. We brought in um, uh, just some just a really great worship team. And um, and the church began to grow and it began to change uh, demographically. And uh, it uh, it really began, really began to take off so much so that, um, you know, by the seventh, eighth year, seventh year, you know, we were we were running. uh, We were the fastest growing church in the free Methodist denomination, won a plaque Mm -hmm. from the bishop. They used to get plaques back in those days. And it was like. You know, I stood up in front of the church and said, "Yeah, we won this plaque," and everybody's standing like, "Yeah, we're doing it." You know, uh, this is this is this is great. And I said, "We're going to win it next year too." And um, but what I said under my breath is that we're going to have to relocate because we we were just running all kinds of services to get that many people into the church building and landlocked uh, urban north long beach and uh so we need i said we're going to need to relocate mm-hmm. to a place that's safer because very dangerous our cars are getting keyed all those kind of things um to a, a place that's safer with lots of parking and uh where we can become a mega church and this was our vision and our dream and we felt like that's the way to reach the most people it wasn't ill-intentioned although i'm sure i had a lot of ego you know, involved with that. I, I'm sure my pride as well as my sincerity was involved with that. Hmm. 
And uh, so we had hired people along the way as the church grew so rapidly. And I'd been very intentional about being multi-ethnic in my hiring. In fact, uh, I know one of your recent guests, uh, Fraser Venter, who's the Catalyst for Justice, he was one of our first hires and he and his wife and um, brought him into ministry out of Enterprise uh, Rent-A-Car. And he just was you know, just amazing from the start. So we, we'd been intentionally uh, about, uh, about the ethnicity of our church becoming more and more multi-ethnic. So my wife, however, said before we make such a big move and trying to begin to raise many millions of dollars because trying to find a place like that in Long Beach would cost millions. So we, um, she said, we ought to go away and fast and pray for a week before, before we make that kind of decision, Larry. And I said, no, we're good. I, I think I know what the Lord. No, I didn't say that. I said, no, that's probably a pretty good thing. Yeah. <laughs> so we did. Um, we went away for a week and we fasted and prayed. And uh, it, it, it's, it's really an amazing story because both of us were, you know, had our Bibles. We were in the Word. And at this point, we were separate. And uh, God took us both to the same passage of Scripture, which was Ezekiel 47. And um, we didn't know it. We were, we were spending two or three hours um, at that moment uh, apart from each other, just thinking and praying. Um, and in that passage, uh, Ezekiel sees the temple, and there's a trickle that comes out of the temple. Not, not flowing into the temple, but flowing out of the temple comes this trickle that becomes a brook, that becomes a stream, that becomes a river, that becomes a mighty river where um, it's too deep to even um, to cross. You've got to swim in it. The current now carries you along versus you being in control by walking across the river or being ankle deep or knee deep or waist deep. And, um, and in verse 9, by the time you get down to verse 9 there, it says where the river flows, everything will live. And it, the Lord spoke to us, um, and I've never heard this concept. I'm, I, I, I'm not the originator of the concept. I'm sure it was out there. But the Lord spoke to uh, us and, uh, and just revealed that we'd been a lake church where everything flowed into the temple, into the lake, uh, um, to one place, our church, and gave to one budget, our budget, to build one vision, our my vision, <laughs> my vision, which is our, our vision to reach, to reach the loss, but to build my vision and everybody was that came in, we kept in so that the lake would get bigger. And our vision was a bigger lake. Mm -hmm. If we could just get a bigger lake, we could do more for God. But the Lord revealed that's not the vision he had for us. He, he wanted us to stay put in those 39 parking spots. And we might never become any bigger. Our castle might not be any bigger. But people would flow into our church, be equipped and sent back out of our church. And they would flow to wherever God called them to bring the river of life. Because where the river flows, everything will live. And uh, so that, you know, that vision, I had to really do some surrendering my pride had to really because i'd been 
like I'm got, I'm gonna grow the you know the biggest church in, in our denomination that you know and I had a friends that had a few friends that had big churches and uh, almost competing with them and so I came back and said um, you know we're gonna we're gonna have this other vision um, that's when we really birthed reach teach men send which is our mission statement for the church and. Even to this day, since uh, that was in 1999, and to this day, if you're there two months or less, you can say, everybody could say, what's our mission? Reach, teach, men, and send. And so um, the short version is we started raising up uh, leaders from within and equipping them to church plant and saying we'd have them preach and we'd say, hey, um, Jim is going to plant a church in about six months or 12 months or sometimes 18 months. And uh, God's going to call a lot of you to go with them to plant this church. So as Jim preaches, you ask the Lord, am I supposed to go? So with that model, um, we begin to send out church planters in their team because of our density within a 20 uh, minute radius of our church is a one and a half million people. So there's room for all kinds of churches. Um, and so people that were coming to our church could go to our church plants. Um, we planted elsewhere, but most of them were, were close. So this began to happen. And sometimes, you know, 15 would go. Sometimes 50 would go. Sometimes 25% of our church would walk out the door on church plant Sunday. And uh, so it was a crazy ride, man. Uh, financially, you'd... Uh, a lot of times, you know, you have big tithers walk out the door, your best children's workers walk out the door. But God bless that um, that journey, that vision. And so we've done that, uh, that model really uh, every year for one once or twice a year for every year since then. And we've watched and our castle is about the same size. I call it the castle just because it's about the same size as it was in 99, but the kingdom, the kingdom has now thousands of people who trace their spiritual lineage to Light and Life Church. And uh, so when you talk about multiplication, there were several elements in there that were just, that, that were just revolutionary for me. When I began to see that, um, God had calling and vision on other people's lives to do things that didn't involve volunteering to build my visions. But instead I became a, an equipper of God's call and vision on other people that released um, this power of multiplication and sending because now they didn't feel like, Oh, I'm just here to, volunteer that's that's noble that's good we need volunteers in our church we we do they're as you know joel they're indispensable but the greater call is that they would be a missionary an everyday missionary where they live work study and play and and who's god calling them to reach and, and to do and so um it it wasn't just multiplication in terms of church planting but in raising up disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples and leaders who would uh, be sent out instead of just leading within the church and, and leaders who would then plant churches. Um, and so 
as we watched these things happen, uh, we became more and more convinced that um, addition is really great if we are champions of addition, if it serves multiplication. Because this is Jesus's way, and this is why I'm so, the more I study Jesus and his ministry pattern, he could have done anything with those three and a half years. And we would, might have expected him to go to Jerusalem and hold mega rallies, but that wasn't his um, MO at all. His ministry was focused on the 12, and different scholars give different amounts, but most settle around 75% of his time that's recorded in the gospel was spent with the three or the 12 or maybe the 72, but it was in disciple making because Jesus knew that um, a, a small group of disciples who were committed to multiplying themselves, to making disciples who would become disciple makers was larger than the biggest crowd he could gather any day who were just consumers, who, who it ended with them. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that's, that, that was our story until uh, two years ago. Well, that's where we're going to wrap up this week's episode of the Pastor's Call podcast. Larry has some great things that he is going to share regarding his role as a catalyst for multiplication so many things that are applicable in so many different ministry contexts, and I think that uh, I wanted to set those aside for a separate episode. So we're going to look at those next week. I want to thank the sponsor for the show. It's Blue Water Free Methodist Church. We're an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. And I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us on another episode of the Pastor's Call podcast. Our hope, our goal, our mission is to encourage those interested, pursuing, or in the pastoral ministry by hearing the stories of those who have gone before. You can find the show wherever podcasts are found, wherever you're listening to it now. Please do subscribe so you know when episodes come out every single Wednesday. And uh, please interact um, on your platform. Please leave a rating. It helps other people find this show so they too can be encouraged by hearing the stories of those who've gone before. I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us. Please do subscribe and please share it with your family and friends. Share it with your pastor. And we'll see you next week. God bless. God bless.